<clears throat> uh, you can change your Bibles and turn to uh, Matthew 5, uh, 21 through 30 today. So we're continuing through uh, Matthew and we're in the what's called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And li last week uh, we did talk about just as... Uh, Steve was saying, we did talk about how Jesus says, you are salt and you are light. And I, I was just as encouraged as, as Stephen was. It's just good to be reminded. And I was just sitting and, and thinking about um, what light really is and, and how the more dark it is, the more difference the light makes. Um, so it's just good to be thinking about when we think the world is really bad, then there's even more. We're, we are yeah, supposed to grasp even more that we are the lights that can be a change for that. Um, yeah, then we will read, and then I'll have a long introduction. Uh, do you have uh, the clicker deal? Yeah. This one. So let's read uh, together from Matthew. There it is. I'm actually going to take one verse before. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus comes with these six, six statements. You've heard that it was said of those of old... You shall not murder. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to pull for the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable for the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I'll say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus, Jesus continues with the second statement. You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, her heart, in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body goes into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so last week I was so like I was so excited and I wanted to share that you were salt and light. This week, mm, maybe uh, 
maybe it's a little bit harder sermon, at least for me, because the first part is really something that I have not totally been sanctified in. Uh, so it'll be a good challenge for me as well. Uh, but I think it's very important to know where we are and even a long time ago, now two weeks ago, when Vivi's dad led us through like what it means to be sorrowful for my sin, to know that we need Jesus. And so Jesus is laying all that foundation as he, he's now coming into a a time where he's going to expose the teaching of the day and the culture of the day. And so he uses these... Um, Six saying, which we're going to go through in the coming weeks, somebody called the six antithesis. It seems like Jesus is, um, it seems like Jesus is contradicting the law, but really he is not. He is actually drawing out what the law was already meant from the beginning, but he's correcting how people interpreted it and misused it. And so that's what we we'll talk about today and what we'll see and how Jesus confronts these things. Um, and so he uses this this phrase that also commentators and other people say shows his authority and also how he we hear when he's around teaching and people's like, wow, this guy, he teaches with really authority. He doesn't say, you've heard it said. Well, he does, but he says, the second part is, but I tell you. So, so Jesus is... It, speaks with the former authority saying hey this is the way you're supposed to interpret the scripture and you've gone too far or you've done too little or you only adhere to the letter but not the intent of the law and so so that's what we will be looking to so in a sense Jesus actually it would seem he tightens up the law uh, that it's not just rules to obey but it's like even when we talk about in Philippians, it's the rules and laws were supposed to be followed in joy because of the one who gave the law. It was never about just following this, what exactly it said. It, it was about whether we believed that the one that gave the law, that was the guy we were supposed to love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so when we are conf- when they were people were confronting the law and we were, do we believe that that law and those rules were set down for our good? So God gave a good law with good rules for his people and for his glory. And so the question for us and also maybe your kids or you asked your parents this question is, like why do you have these rules is it because you want to take joy away from me so maybe you have sometimes thought as about different things in the bible and you're thinking or maybe god is actually trying to rob me of joy or rob me of pleasure why is he making why why are these rules there they're there to limit me to to make me unable to be who i really am And the same thing with Jesus when he speaks and confronts us in the Bible. Does that sometimes make you (laughs) frustrated and complain to God? When he asks you to be generous, loving, kind, uh, to help correct other people, to pay your taxes, to pray for your enemy, 
does, does some of those things annoy you or frustrate you? If if that is the case, well, I, can, I was like, since none of you are saying that, yes, amen, then, but it does me, at least. <laughs> I get frustrated sometimes, especially with the first part we have today. Um, but what happens with what happens to you and to me uh, when it, and what does it reveal about us? Does it reveal that God is wrong? No. It reveals, at least to me and I think to us, that it's, it's our hearts that need to change. If, if, you, if you're in a place in your life where, and we had the good example today, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, worshiping, if you do that grumbling and complaining, there's something you misunderstood about who God is. And exposes our hearts that needs to change. Because I think one pastor, he put it really, really good. He said, God is not glorified in your begrudging submission. Like God is not going like, hey, yay. He's following after me, but he hates it. And he thinks I'm dumb and stupid. He's following, he's following my law, but he thinks it's dumb. No, God is not glorified. Because it shows we have a wrong view of who God is. When we start complaining against God, when, we, we, when our hearts rise up against who God is and, and why he gave the commandments, we show in our hearts we don't know who he is. And and so we can do the right thing with the wrong attitudes. We can see maybe the obvious example from the Bible is the people in Israel, the people of Israel have just miraculously been taken out of Egypt. But they keep from the day one, they keep complaining and attacking God and Moses and accusing all the time that they were that God's not going to lead them to freedom, that he let them out in the wilderness so they would die. And then they, they, then, then they like, then you, we're going to die in this desert. We should we want to go back. Accusation, 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 accusation against God. But all they knew was slavery. But God was trying to lead them into freedom and new life. So they didn't really know who God was, or at least they had no trust that he was going to lead them into freedom. And so we are we're exposed by the same question from God and from Jesus also in this text. When you encounter God's rules, and you might not always like them, then what do you do? Do you start accusing God and saying he's wrong? Or do you start looking at how like, maybe I've got God wrong? So let's go back to the text, and, and we see there, Jesus says, you have heard it said that it 
you, you have heard it, it, you heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder is liable to judgment. But I say to you that e everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable for the hell of fire. So Jesus, there's like this three pronged, three points of, of um, uh, what do you call a more insult. Uh, so the first one, liable, first you're liable to judgment, then for the council, and then for hell. And then I think I have to, yes, I have this, uh, we just stop and I'll explain a little bit about hell. Hell is also not maybe the most uh, encouraged uh, doctrine in the Christian faith throughout the times. Most people would like to not, not talk about it and not do it. The problem with that is that Jesus talks a lot about it. And uh, so, so if we, again, we're now confronted with the doctrine that we're like, ah, I, don't know, I don't know. Well, we have to look into it and say, like, what is it? And if Jesus says this, and even in the, the verse, in today, he's going to say it twice. So we, we have to dive in. We have to look at what it is. Oh, man, that's small. All right. But, okay, so I'll go off of my memory. So when, oh, thank you. I'll do that. <laughs> but just to try to, the concept of hell is his point is that in this valley outside of uh, Jerusalem, uh, south, uh, south of Jerusalem, there was like a horrible worship of evil uh, demon gods and uh, even uh, Israel was burning their children to Molech there. Um, so it's polluted by all sorts of things. Uh, carcasses and animals, dead bodies, malefactors consumed, uh, all these things. Um, all lots of corruption. So what happened there is then, then they started fires there. And there was continuously fire there to purify and to destroy all those things. Um, and then we also have another quote from this person there. Uh, so it's trying to understand what is the tradition of hell uh, in this eastern point. And so, this name was used to metaphorically for the place where souls of the wicked would be judged. So this is kind of the point of what Jesus is saying, is that this place of Gehenna, hell, the people of Jerusalem knew that was referring to this place that was a, not a nice place where there was had been lots of evil demon worship and now there was a dump of burning things of all uncleanliness. When Jesus refers to hell, it is not a place anybody should desire to go to. Um, and so he also talks about it in different places. It's just, it's it's we we don't know exactly what it's like, but it's really not a nice place. It's like where all good has been removed. All common grace that we take for granted in this life has been removed. And people get what they want. Judgment for not following God. It's described with fire, gnashing of teeth, 
the worms that don't die and the other, other animals. It's not a nice place. And it is referred to where souls would get punished. It's not the same as when it talks about Hades. That's the place of the dead. This is the place where the dead souls get punished. So, I mean, <laughs> so, uh, so if I say something not nice to someone, or if I hate somebody, then Jesus is saying that is where I deserve to go. So what is Jesus saying here? First, he's talking about he's talking about the sixth commandment of murder. But he tightens he tightens it very tight. He says it's not just about murder. But what we do and say matter. And we can murder one another with our words. We can cut down people that are made in his image for who Jesus died. And how can we even make those judgments on other people if we don't know anything about them? And this is where it's, this part maybe is frustrating for me because I do that way too often. I see or I do, or I, immediately I make all sorts of assumptions on, of, of people. And my default is that person's an idiot or a fool. But Jesus confronted him in saying, well, that actually makes you liable for hell. And I said to a friend last week, I said, he was a little bit surprised. He said that I, in some ways I, I am like Putin. And he was like, what are you talking about? Well, well, because of what goes on in my mind, I don't have the power that Putin does. But what goes on in my mind is my judgment of others, condemning others, being so frustrated with others that I kill tons of people in my mind. So thank the Lord, my limit, I don't have tanks in a whole country. But... But I even look, okay, you, you can laugh at me, but what about you? How many people have you killed today? Just in your mind, how many have you killed on the way here? <laughs> who are you angry with? Who did you insult? Maybe not really physically, but it was just in your mind. It's like, or maybe it was online. Or, or this, one, this one is a classic one. You have fantasies about sometimes when you're just by yourself, you have, and you're maybe not in the best place, you have fantasies about, oh, if I could, I'm going to tell this person this, I'm going to tell them. I'm just going to tell them that one, and then they'll get it, what they deserve. It's probably a good time to think about stopping that and praying instead, because I think we're on the wrong path. So Jesus confronts us here saying that if somebody says, says about another person that they're a fool, we have like strict, we're liable for strict judgment. 
And I would be like to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I know you're the son of God. Everything was created through you. But you call people fools in the Bible. Well, at least maybe not real people, but people in your stories. So it can't really be about the word. And it's not about the word. Because words of condemnation of people change all the time. It's different in different cultures even. But we know what the words are in our culture. We know how to cut down people, how to dehumanize people, how to call a strict judgment on them for who they are or what they did. So what is it today? What words do you sometimes use? Or you don't use them because you only use them in your mind because you're a good Christian person. You only kill people inside of your head. But, but what, what is it and what provokes that in us? Then something interesting starts to happen here. The text seems to take this turn. Um, uh, sorry, I'm messing around with it. This one. Then the 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 text seems to take this turn. When Jesus says, go reconcile, leave, um, you're in the middle of uh, worshiping, but you remember somebody has something against you. And he says, go and reconcile with your brother that had something against you. You're in the middle of offering something, you're giving to the church, you're about to take communion, you're about to do something. And Jesus says, like, leave it. Go and fix the relationship first. The biggest destruction of our relationships is killing the other person. And they had to learn that killing people was not right. But Jesus is tightening it so much and saying, you know what the problem is. The problem is how you relate to one another. The problem is is the breakdown of relationship. And so, so what comes out of anger is, or wrath is anger, insult, slander, judgment that breaks down relationships. So if you're looking at all your, most of your relationships, they've broken down because of those things. And they and murder starts somewhere. Murder is the conclusion of them, some of those things that add up and add up and add up. But Jesus is asking us to go to the root of it. The root is you actually think you are better, maybe, or you don't believe in that Jesus will be the judge of these people. So don't murder. Don't kill people with your words, your actions. <coughs> and I had that, that, that example here where the opposite happens. And uh, maybe, 
when the Pharisees saw this, they said, so Jesus is eating with uh, actually the author of the gospel. They're eat, eating with Matthew in his house. Uh, they see this. They say, why did you teach us uh, eat with tax collectors and sinners? They asked the disciples. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is such an example where if you're a little bit like me, you can find yourself in the Pharisees' shoes. Like they don't understand what Jesus is doing. Why does he hang out with those people? Why wouldn't he be hanging out with us, the good people? And Jesus is like, you, you don't get it, do you? I've come to save these people who know they need me. And you guys feel you're so superior. You're so superior of these people that you think you can judge them. And he says, I don't want your sacrifice. I want you to be able to show mercy because I came to call the sinners. And so I think that just exposes exposes us and them that when we think we know better about people that Jesus asked us you know I I didn't really I didn't really I don't really want your money I don't really want your worship but I want you to show that you can show mercy then I know that your heart's been changed because that's the people I came from I want to see that you are poor in spirit so you don't judge other people because you don't really know how anyway so Jesus shows us how to respond to respond with mercy and we I mean, we can look to Jesus and see that's what he does like he he responds with mercy even to these people as he rebukes them he shows them the right way He's like, you guys are far off, but you need mercy, so go and learn how to know, know what mercy is. He shows them the right way. The problem with the Pharisees and maybe them is that they knew how to offer. They knew all, all those things, but they totally, they were missing what God was doing in their midst, that he was calling people to himself through Jesus. But they were so righteous in themselves. And that's the warning that we read first. For, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter heaven, a kingdom of heaven. And so he's just saying, these people don't know. They, they're not righteous in themselves. They think they are, but they are not. They learned a religious system, but they don't know what the law means. They're very proud and judgmental. Like they know they don't know me because they don't know how to show mercy. Now the thing is, like we talked about, we can honor those Pharisees, but we stay in the same place when we do the same thing. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you think you can judge people or call people things, or when you get mad you, in your mind or out loud, you cut down people. No, we didn't. We need to humble ourselves and go back to be important spirits like Jesus. I don't know what's going wrong here, but I need you, and you're the one who has righteousness. Because you've shown me mercy, I can show other people mercy. And I had this like showing mercy is worship. 
and that can make offerings and other things also worship. But mercy is the foundation for worship. We can do all the religious activities afterwards. But if we show we have never been poor spirit and we haven't been shown mercy by Jesus, how will we show mercy to other people and not instead just judge people? And again, he says, come to terms with people. Come to terms with them so you don't, might, so you don't end up in jail. And so we might not really have this really so well in our our time. But I was thinking about it. It's like, but when, when you succumb to anger, you become a prison of, you become imprisoned by the anger. You are a bond. You're in bondage of that anger. You're like It's like you're in a prison. You're so mad at a person that that person is actually in, in, in incarcerating you. And the anger leaves you in a prison that's not freedom, but you are enslaved. There'll be no joy, but only a thirst for hurting or angering that person. And it's not not lifted before the restoration of a relationship. Back to what it was all about. The command of not killing was about restoring relationships or not destroying relationships. Um, Then I have uh, these. (laughs) This is my favorite verse. Be angry. Unfortunately, there's a little more. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a little more to the verse than just be angry. Um, so it's, it, this is a hard to uh, listen to me because uh, it doesn't end there. There's more to the verse. So anger can be good, and it is good. Anger's, anger against sin is good. Problem with most anger is that it's really difficult to control and it often does become sin. Um, So it's a powerful, powerful emotion that we have because we should have it against sin. It's very difficult to control and it very easily turns into self-righteousness and judgment. Another verse that I was reminded of was this one. From James, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So James also encapsulates here what often goes wrong in conversation and relationships. That everyone's so fast to speak that we misunderstand one another. So he's like, slow down, slow down. You have two ears. Listen twice as much. Slow down your anger because your anger isn't going to produce the righteousness of God. So the problem is, is if we judge by our own standards, we're, all go- we're always going to get it wrong.
and so we can then continue to destroy relationships with other people that we have something against or that we feel oh something so we're called to reconcile we have the verse that we use many times we're called to reconcile with one another because Jesus has shown mercy to us then we're we're asked to reconcile relationships and we can only be obedient and pray that the Lord helps us because if we can't reconcile with one another how are we later going to pray for our enemies and Jesus he says like hurry do it now do it before you worship and so that's the things we talked about before because can we really come and worship if we're hating other people in his image and 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 that we show how can we come and worship before him if we're full of anger and malice towards other people Jesus says go and restore the relationship because you can be forgiven in Christ and that's why we, that's the only reason why we can worship is because we have been restored back to Jesus uh, back to God through Jesus we can rest- we can we couldn't bring our worship to God because of our failures but because Jesus has reconciled us through his life his death and his resurrection is coming back we're asked to do the same for people and that humility is the way very opposite of self-righteousness and judgment that we trust in Jesus's righteousness and we rely on his judgment of people because like last time we are supposed to be salt and light in the world so people can see Jesus problem is if they just see my anger or yours they might not see Jesus and we aren't really supposed to be judging people that are blind but we're to pray for them pray that the lord would open their eyes so they'll be able to follow jesus and then again like jesus is talking about among believers it should be even more so because we both parties have experienced the mercy and love of forgiveness of god both tasted and seen what forgiveness brings and Jesus is going to be clear he's going to be very clear frighteningly clear as we come to the lord's prayer that it's not a choice to forgive it's a command enough about all that anger now we have to go to lust another favorite one of our time so jesus says you've have heard it said you shall not commit adultery there and and just like with anger this is not Jesus tightens it up a lot so it's not just the command was about relationship it was never only about the physical act he said because he says but i t- say to you everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart so jesus is again saying 
it is not only about having sex outside of marriage when you're married with somebody. No, no, he tightens it up and said, says, this is, you don't, you shouldn't even entertain the idea of having that. You shouldn't even be looking at somebody wishing that. It's about your heart. Are you committed to God and your wife or husband so that you don't even entertain those ideas? Because adultery happens when those ideas have been entertained in the mind. So Jesus is saying, like, no, you don't get it. You broke the commandment when you started breaking your marriage vows by lusting after somebody else. Again, it's about our mind, and and in in the Hebrew and Greek, uh, it would be about our heart, about the total sum, souls, total sum of who we are. We would say it's about our mind, a new, a renewed mind. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way of life, to lust after other people. You need a change of heart and mind. Because the consequences is the same. If you do those things, you are liable for judgment and punishment in hell. And Jesus, he uses this graphic language which, which has confused and confounded many like if your eye makes you sin, cut it out. If your arm makes you sin, cut it off. But we just talked about it. The limbs is not the problem. It's the mind and the heart that's the problem. You can cut off as many pieces as you want, but it's controlled by your mind. So the passage has confused many people about whether we should cut all our body parts up. And the problem is, that, yeah, it's not going to work because it's what we believe about God that has to change. We have to let our minds be filled with his words in Jesus. so that we can live changed and not desire those things. Some, uh, some other issues that break down lust, in a, breaks down all sorts of things of what it means to be human. Uh, lust reduces another person to an object to be used. We see that clearly in our culture through pornography, prostitution, trafficking, and those are like obvious ones, but even even what Jesus is saying, looking at somebody with lustful intent is also, or looking at somebody like that, also takes something that's not ours. It dehumanizes a person and it breaks down relationships. And we're not supposed to take anything that's not ours, even though we do it with our mind. Like this happens because of our sexual brokenness and brokenness in gen- general, that we abuse what's, what, what God has given us good 
We manipulate it to, con to get what we want. But we are asked to be satisfied in Jesus and not fall for the schemes of the enemy because a lot of these lust things is just a scheme. It's like, if you do this, then you'll be satisfied. We saw Jesus uh, confronted, when he was confronted by the devil, pushing those things aside. It's like, no. You're not going to be satisfied by lusting after things. You will just end up worse. And Jesus is clear. The judgment, you'll be liable for hell. And again, it's a lust is such a place where we're not honoring that people are made in the image of God. And in, in, in adultery, physically or mentally, we're breaking the covenant that we made with God and the spouse. So why is Jesus strong, so strongly in these two things about anger and lust, why is Jesus so strongly saying that breaking these things will make us liable for hell? Because in both things, like I said, murder starts with anger. Here on faithfulness and other sexual sin also starts in the mind. So Jesus is going after people's hearts and mind and saying, no, no, you have to understand that these good commands were there to expose your heart and mind. And that, that needs to be killed along with your other sins before it develops into murder or unfaithfulness. And so in the Old, Ter Old Testament, it says that Sarah was a beautiful woman. So there is a way to, there's a way to honor people and see that they are beautiful when not lusting after them. But Jesus is talking about abusing and taking a tent of adultery. Anger, lust, breaks down humanity, breaks down relationship, and exposes what's really in the heart and what we think about God. Because if you get good commands, then those are life and not breaking them. So just summing it up in the end, is like Jesus is trying to tell them that your righteousness cannot be in obeying the law by the letter and then being lustful and angry at people, judgmental. Because the law was supposed to help people to lead to life and worship of God. But a wrong obedience of the letter and religious worship but a heart that wasn't changed. So Jesus comes in and he says, no, no, this is about your heart and your mind and about whether you really want to worship Jesus or worship God. Show mercy. Honor God. 
Stop breaking relationships. I've come to restore relationships. You're supposed to be salt and light. Do the same. So just some questions in the end. Why do you follow the Bible's teachings and what Jesus said? Do you do it because you have to? Or do you do it with joy because you know that life in it, life is in what Jesus taught? Do you make up your own rules? Do you add some few things? Do you take away some few things? You say some things about Jesus, they don't apply to you, or what the Bible says doesn't really apply it to you. If the last thing is you're, you're really robbing yourself of joy and of abundant life, and you sin against God. So if you, like me, have been exposed here, it's time to kill sin in prayer and in, in coming to Jesus. Like Jesus, the whole thing has been inviting people to himself, tightening these, tightening these commands not to be um, just something to adhere to outwardly, but with all of who we are. So when we see anger rise up, when we see lust rise up, we come, we come to Jesus with it, and, he, and through his life, death, and resurrection, it should be killed. And so Jesus is in, again inviting us into true life to repent of anger, lust, and our self-righteousness. To run to Jesus and thank him with great joy for all the things he's done and that we can have real life, real, real life in him, that we can rejoice, that we can work and we can pray and we can worship. Amen. So uh, I'm going to have the benediction for us. And uh, I've done it a few times. I think maybe also this one is a good one. Um, If the Holy Spirit is moving in you and you're like, I got to pray with some people. I got to talk to somebody about this. Well, please do. The people around you that's willing to pray with you. So don't just run away. It's like if you need to do some business with the Lord, do that. Ask somebody next to you to pray with them, (laughs) pray with you. That's also a good part of why we're here. So you may stand up and then we'll have the benediction from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, O Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.